Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. Casual football fans think Super Bowl Sunday is the most exciting day of the NFL season. But real fans know that day is Conference Championship Sunday. Sure enough, Sunday's AFC Championship game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals lived up to the hype. But this seemed in doubt after the heavily favored Chiefs jumped to a morale-crushing 21-3 lead midway through the second quarter because nobody thought quarterback Joe Burrow could lead the Bengals on a Tom Brady-style comeback to make it even interesting. But then a funny thing happened on the way to halftime. Burrow marched the Bengals 70 yards to the end zone for a more respectable and ominous, if you're a Chiefs fan, score of 21 to 10. <laughs> Frankly, even sports analysts are still trying to figure out why the Bengals were better in the second half than the Chiefs were in the first. And even more baffling, why the Chiefs were worse in the second half than the Bengals were in the first. <laughs> in fact, the Bengals' defence held the Chiefs' much-vaunted offence, led by MVP quarterback Patrick Mahomes, scoreless in the second half, until only 39 seconds left in the game. And this, while Burrow continued marching his Bengals to score enough unanswered points to lead 24-21, with only those 39 seconds left. But that's when Mahomes rediscovered his mojo and put the Chiefs in position to score a field goal to end regulation any tie at 24. And so, living up to the hype we've come to expect from Conference Championship Sunday, it was time for overtime. And you can bet most fans immediately hearkened back one week to how Mahomes and the Chiefs made it to this championship game. And because they made it in dramatic overtime fashion against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers by winning the coin toss and marching down the field for a sudden death touchdown. Game over. Brady retired. <laughs> As it turned out, Literally. But I immediately thought that it was more likely for lightning to strike me twice than for the Chiefs to win two consecutive playoff games in overtime. Not to mention that, after folding the way they did in the second half, the Chiefs not only tempted fate, but did not deserve to win. Of course, after they won the coin toss for this overtime too, their fans could have been forgiven great expectations 
that they were about to see history play out again in their favor. Except that the great Mahomes promptly threw an interception, forfeiting the chance for the Chiefs to even score a field goal, let alone another sudden death touchdown. That gave Burrow the chance Mahomes famously denied Brady the week before, and Burrow wasted no time exploiting it. He promptly marched the Bengals into field goal position for kicker Evan McPherson to punch their ticket to the Super Bowl. Final score, Bengals 27, Chiefs 24. Much had been made about Patrick Mahomes being the heir apparent to Tom Brady. But many commentators began hailing Joe Burrow as such, based solely on this one game. Granted, Burrow looked more Brady-esque, not only by bringing the Bengals back from their deficit, but also by standing in the pocket to do so. But the strength, speed, and agility of defensive players these days means a performance like that will be the exception rather than the rule for quarterbacks. This is why I think Mahomes' combination of throwing ability, backfield mobility, and mental acuity make him far more likely to win more Super Bowls than any of this new generation of NFL quarterbacks. I am also mindful that, even though much is made of Brady winning seven Super Bowls in ten appearances, that means he ended twelve of his twenty-two seasons the way Mahomes just ended this one, namely by falling far short of expectations. More about Brady in a moment. First, I'm obliged to at least acknowledge Sunday's second NFC Championship game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. I say acknowledge because, as much a fan of this game as I am, I have never been able to binge-watch football games. And for me, two consecutive games would constitute doing so. I should also note that I couldn't care less which team won either game. Because Brady, yeah, him again, and the Buccaneers eliminated my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, in blowout fashion in the first round of this year's playoffs. A truth be told, the only reason I watched the AFC game instead of this one is that I think Mahomes and Burrow are easily the front-runners for the quarterback most likely to replace Brady as the face of the NFL. In any event, I've read enough to know that the Rams won an even more exciting and close-fought game for a berth to Super Bowl 56 on Sunday, February 13. And by the way, 
they will play the Bengals in the same SoFi Stadium in California, that is, on home turf, where they played this NFC game. As it happens, this game was also tied late in the fourth quarter, at 17, with each team having a chance to win on final drives. But it was the Rams who executed, with a nearly five-minute march from their own 39-yard line, for a game-winning field goal to defeat the 49ers 20-17. Given my opening statement, and the fact that my team isn't even playing, you will understand why I couldn't care less who wins this Super Bowl. But as one who revels in friendly wagers with friends, I don't mind sharing that I'm betting on the Bengals to win. That said, here are my two cents on the hullabaloo Brady caused by leaking word of his retirement the day before these conference championship games. Unsurprisingly, the media reacted as if he had just died, and they were determined to give him more coverage than they gave Kobe Bryant. COVID cases rising or war in Ukraine looming, be damned. But ask yourself why Brady did not keep his intent to retire to himself for just another three weeks. You know, until after the Super Bowl. This to avoid what was all too foreseeable and what in fact happened. Namely, talk of his retirement pissing all over the parade of the players who actually made it to those coveted conference championship games. And don't get me started on that statement he had his agent release, saying sorry, not sorry, for the distraction, but refusing to affirm or deny the accuracy or inaccuracy of the reports because that insulted the intelligence of anyone with half a brain. <laughs> Frankly, it read like it was written by Vladimir Putin's propaganda stooge. Everyone was talking about Brady that entire weekend, because that's what Brady wanted. This, I always worked the refs and got away with it, S.O.B., was having his cake and eating it too. And, as they did his entire career, the NFL and media, let him get away with it. Clearly, I am not a fan. As it happens, I explained why in my podcast episode previewing last year's Super Bowl, titled, I Begrudgingly Hail Brady's Return, on February 4, 2021. But I can also refer you to such blog commentaries as NFL Deflategate Investigation Tom Brady is a liar and a cheat on May 8, 2015. The way he dissed die-hard Patriots fans in his retirement Instagram story, though, speaks volumes because he waxed wistfully about his gratitude and appreciation 
for the love and loyalty Buccaneers fans showed him in Tampa Bay, where he won one Super Bowl championship in two years. But he did not say a word about Patriots fans in New England, where he won six Super Bowl championships in 20. The point is that, the way I begrudgingly hailed and gave Brady his due, indicated how, at long last, I was beginning to forgive all and show unconditional admiration for him as the goat. But the scandalous, attention-hogging way he orchestrated his retirement just reminded me of why I always hated him. So good riddance, Tom. As the title to this episode indicates, I feel obliged to save a little hate for Brady's comrade in professional conceit and self-righteousness, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. He is arguably the most gifted quarterback among Brady's contemporaries. Rodgers just does not have the Super Bowl rings to show for it. He has one. Brady has seven. As it happens, the way this season played out might explain why. Most notably, it began with Rogers playing Hamlet with the Packers organization all summer, about whether or not he would even return to Green Bay. But then he tested positive for COVID in early November, and all hell broke loose because that compelled probing questions about his vaccine status, which revealed that he had lied at a press conference way back in August when he said he was vaccinated. It turned out he was not only unvaccinated, but held anti-vaxxer views that would make even that infamous QAnon shaman cringe. But Rogers could be forgiven for thinking, if winning a championship helped fans forget that Kobe Bryant lied about raping a woman, winning one would surely help them forget that he lied about getting vaccinated. Except that his season soon ended in humiliating fashion, which most fans regarded as payback for lying about his vaccination status. I duly commented in... How do you spell karma? I spell it R-O-D-G-E-R-S <laughs> on January 25. What's more, the karma in this case also pertained to the way Rogers taunted Bears fans during Green Bay's win at Chicago on October 17. Specifically, after scrambling for a touchdown, he glared into the stands and shouted repeatedly, All my fucking life, I own you! I still own you! <laughs> I know. What sportsmanship, right? <laughs> well, what could be more karmic than Packers fans taunting him as he left his own stadium by shouting at him, 
the 49ers still own you, Aaron. <laughs> because this year's season-ending loss to the 49ers on January 22 was the fourth time the 49ers had knocked a Rodgers-led Packers team out of the playoffs. Frankly, given the way this season played out, and the anger he incited with his Hamletian dithering about even returning, it may be that Rogers has so alienated people in Green Bay, they might be ready to say, Don't let the door hit you in the arse on the way out, Aaron. <laughs> in any event, nothing would mark a more fitting passing of the old guard quite like this best playoff season in NFL history, seeing Brady eliminated to then retire as the GOAT, and Rogers eliminated to then ponder his fate as a GOAT. <laughs> but this is Black History Month, so I'd be remiss to end this episode without acknowledging the NFL's fraught history with race matters. Nothing betrayed this, quite like the open and notorious way NFL owners colluded to blackball quarterback Colin Kaepernick. This, simply because he dared to kneel on the sideline during games, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter protests against police brutality and racial injustice. No doubt you recall that nearly all blacks and a vast majority of whites supported Kaepernick. This is why I was so dismayed that the predominantly black players in the NFL did not leverage their indispensable bargaining power to break that collusion and force one team to sign Kaepernick. But I suppose there is no accounting for short-sighted self-interest, competitiveness, and greed, a.k.a. human nature. But had they done so back then, racism in the NFL would not still be so systemic today. Exhibit A, of course, is the damning class-action lawsuit which former Dolphins coach Brian Flores filed against the league on Tuesday. Among other things, his lawsuit alleges that the NFL is managed like a glorified plantation, that the Dolphins owner tried to bribe him to tank games just to get higher draft picks, and that all NFL owners treat the Rooney rule which requires them to interview blacks for coaching jobs to increase their representation, like an inside joke among white frat boys. In fact, there were three black coaches in the NFL when it implemented that rule in 2003. There is only one black coach in the league today. As it happens, I've written many commentaries presaging everything Flores alleges, including most notably one titled, Salaries of College Coaches Reflect 
enduring master-slave relationships on October 28, 2016. Of course, with billionaire owners and millionaire players, it might seem far-fetched to compare the NFL to a slave plantation. But, with apologies to Einstein, everything is relative. Apropos of which, just imagine the untenable antebellum spectacle of college football, where mostly white coaches earn millions, while mostly black players don't even get paid. I referred earlier to the indispensable bargaining power black players could wield to redress the racial inequities that beset the NFL. But imagine how much greater and effective that power would be if their white teammates showed interest in redressing these inequities that amounted to even a fraction of the interest they show in winning football games on any given Sunday. I wish the more conscientious black players would challenge their white teammates to explain this racial disinterest. Ultimately, though, this lawsuit merely shows NFL owners giving free rein to racial prejudices that are now rearing their ugly heads all across Jim Crow 2.0 America. And so the question now is whether black players will boycott to make Brian Flores the Rosa Parks of the NFL, or whether they will just shut up and play to allow white owners to blackball him the way they blackballed Colin Kaepernick. That's it. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening. And until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.